Welcome to Tea for Two, the podcast for women in golf and the men who support them. With your host, Karen Harding. Welcome. Our guest today is one of golf's emerging women entrepreneurs. Raj Narayan has come from a corporate financial and management background and has applied both analytical skills and social awareness to create an online golf club, the creatively named Imagine. That's E-M-A-J-I-N, Imagine. Even the name is evocative of possibilities, and Raj is true to exploring those. From someone who started out hating the game, Raj has transitioned into someone who not only loves it with a passion, but to someone who wants to give back to it. To do so, she has looked at the world of golf, turned it on its axis to view it from its many sides, and then reimagined it to fit players who, for various reasons, cannot fit into the traditional club model. Today, we're going to hear of her journey through golf, how Imagine came into being, and why traditional bricks and mortar and online golf clubs can happily coexist in the golfing landscape. Raj, hello. Hello, Karen. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, Raj. It's lovely to talk with you. Raj, you arrived in Sydney at age 22, having been born and living until then in India, where you completed a degree in commerce and economics. What brought you to Sydney at that time? Uh, I came to Sydney to pursue further education and actually studied a course in banking and finance in the early days in Australia. You went on to do further education, didn't you? Yes, I went on to study um, an MBA um, later on, yes. Your arrival in Sydney also marked the beginning of your life in the corporate sector. What was the main focus of your career? My background's in banking and finance, uh, and I worked largely in institutional banking, um, as well as in private banking, and uh, worked as the head of strategy at um, the Westpac Institutional Bank, as well as the COO of the private bank. Golf wasn't a part of your life at that point, was it? Where did you first encounter it? So um, um, I first took up golf when I was actually studying in London. Uh, I was doing a part of my MBA program at the London Business School, and I thought to myself, I'm going to be closing so many deals on the golf course. So I decided to take up golf and anyway, signed up to a six-week golf clinic. And to be honest, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> uh, I, used to, I used to run a lot during those days and I used to take part in half marathons and marathons. And I also played a bit of tennis and I couldn't really comprehend golf. And I thought, what kind of sport is this? I mean, you don't sweat. You try to hit a stationary ball that doesn't move. Mm. So I was just so frustrated. Um, and, uh, you know, and in those days, you know, I was a student and didn't really like to waste many things. But halfway through the program, I decided that this is just a waste of time. So I actually quit, quit golf at the time. Well, that was not an auspicious <laughs> start to the game, was it? Especially given where you are now. When and how did golf re-enter your life? Um, so I was actually working in Sydney and um, due to family reasons, relocated to Brisbane. So I was new to Brisbane and a couple of my friends that I trained with at the gym said, um, you know, they wanted to take up golf and wanted to sign up for a six-week clinic. So I'm having visions of deja vu. But anyway, uh, I didn't know too many people in Brisbane and I thought this would be a great way for me to get to meet people as well as try the sport. So I signed up 
for a golf clinic at Victoria Park driving range. And to be honest, I simply loved it. Mm. I, was, I was so addicted. I used to go and hit balls every day in the range. I kept practicing, having lessons. Um, and it was about 12 years after my first set of clinics in London. So this shows you that timing is everything, especially in golf. And uh, you've got to be in the right frame of mind to pursue the sport. I then went on to join Royal Queensland Golf Club in Brisbane. It's a stunning golf course and club. And um, I'd really go there and practice four days a week. They had this short game practice facility, which was floodlit. So you could hit balls, chip balls uh, till eight o'clock at night. And another thing of living in Queensland is that there's no daylight savings. So you could play easily nine holes in the morning and still get to work by 8.30 in the morning. As time went along, your involvement with the game deepened even further, didn't it? Can you please fill us in a little bit on that? When I was in Brisbane, you know, I made so many friendships on the golf course and it was great for networking and getting to meet colleagues on the golf course as well. And then when I moved to Sydney a few years later, I became a member at New South Wales Golf Club. And I later on also went on to become the women's captain there and a board member there. And during this time, it was actually my pleasure to serve for a couple of years on the um, board advisory committee at Golf New South Wales, which is a governing body of Golf New South Wales. What did your time in those roles teach you about golf that perhaps you weren't aware of beforehand? During my time on the advisory committee at Golf New South Wales, I was actually exposed to some staggering statistics on the number of golfers who do not belong to a golf club. In Australia, there are about 1.25 million golfers who play on a golf course and only 410,000 belong to a golf club. So 67% of golfers in Australia do not belong to a golf club and they're called the casual golfers. 67%. Social golf is like a sleeping giant with a significant opportunity. And um, we thought if this is targeted appropriately, this could play a huge factor in growing and retaining more people in the game. Mm. Converting even a small percentage of this figure creates a significant increase in regular players and potentially club members, whether those members be through private courses, public courses or online clubs, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. So if you think about it, there is 835,000 people who don't belong to a golf club. Mm. And even if you can get 10% of this group involved, that's a huge number of mm. people who've been involved in golf. Certainly is. Uh, the conclusion to be drawn from this is that there's a massive difference between the existing number of recorded golfers and the number of potential golfers. You know, I think Golf New South Wales and Golf Australia are headed in a great direction at the moment. Um, and as the recent nature study demonstrates, they've you know done the survey and found 9 million people in Australia are interested in taking up golf. And 5.8 million have done some form of golf. And a huge number, I think it's 1.6 million, who play nine holes or 18 holes of golf. So there's a huge um, you know, take up of golf in recent times. Yes, there's a lot of potential, that's for sure. I think that 1.645 million people who've tried it in some form is probably the most significant figure of those quoted because they've already entered the game, creating a catchment area, as it were, whereas some of the others may not go on with it. Uh, I thought something else of interest in the Nature Report too was the increase in social club 
members, which was a growth of around 6%. Is that part of what prompted you to start Imagine, putting all these figures together? We started Imagine because we thought there was a huge gap in the market and a need for value-based offerings for golfers to take up this sport on their own terms. So we really wanted to build a community of golfers um, who can participate and play this sport uh, based on their life and their work situation. The name Imagine is fabulous, Raj. I really just love it. It conjures up positive words like possibility, creativity, dreams that become reality. How did you decide on that name and spelling? So golf reimagined is our tagline. And that's a whole concept of what we stand for, to reimagine golf and how it can be accessed and consumed by the millions of golfers in Australia. And we kind of spelled imagine a bit differently because it's what we want to be, something different, and build a model that's kind of more accessible, inclusive, and provides more options for people to consume golf in a way that it suits them. Hmm. Well, I might say that was very imaginative of you, Raj. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Karen. (laughs) When did Imagine start? We started our planning uh, in mid-2020, but really launched the business in January 2021. If I was to ask you to describe Imagine in one sentence, what would be that description? Imagine Golf uh, really marks the new age of golf, and we are a community of golfers from all walks of life, all abilities, who want to play at different courses and come together through handicaps, nationwide competitions, and golf networking events. Does it have a target demographic? Look, we interestingly, we have a very wide uh, membership base. Our youngest member is 13 and the oldest is 85. Mm. And we have all handicap levels from plus six all the way to the max handicap. We have beginners with the max handicap. Uh, and while we're open and welcome to all demographics, our membership base um, tends to be around 35 to 55 and it's predominantly made up of business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives. So we have a very corporate style of membership base. Would you like to describe what the model of Imagine is, how it actually works? At Imagine, we are about building golfing communities from the hundreds of thousands of casual golfers in Australia. We are a subscription-based business, and we offer mainly two types of membership. So the first is our golf-based networking group, where you can get a handicap, be part of our networking community and really enjoy golf events and networking days at your convenience at various locations um, through the course of the year. It's called our business club. We run large golf days uh, where we have 100 plus golfers play, as well as a number of small focused networking events, which are focused around industry groups or topics where we have a keynote speaker or presenter and really an opportunity for people to introduce themselves and connect with one another before golf. Our events provide networking opportunities to enjoy golf as well as expand and strengthen your business relationships. All our events also offer multiple options. So we have our 18-hole golf as well as nine holes and tri-golf clinics. The second type of membership offering is our social club, where we provide a golf handicap as well as an onboarding program for people to get into golf and really give them the flexibility to play golf anywhere at any time from the 500 plus golf courses that are open to the public, as well as any open competitions. So what this allows us to do is play anywhere at any time with anyone. And we run a nationwide online competition 
So you can enter our online competition and post scores from any club competition anywhere across Australia. And you go into the leaderboard to win some epic prizes like boxes of Pro V1 balls every week, uh, all the way up to a brand new driver once a month. We spoke earlier about timing being everything. With the boom in interest and people getting into club membership and alternative forms of the game through the pandemic, the timing of Imagine has proven to be inspired. Was this a strategic decision or does fortune favour the brave? It's really a bit of both, actually. Um, Obviously, we started off looking at some of the staggering participation rates of social golfers and that thought there was a business opportunity. But obviously, we've had a bit of up and down during the pandemic and um, with the lockdowns and so forth. But in the end, it's turned out to be um, really positive because, um, you know, as they say, there's a silver lining in the middle of every cloud. And um, through COVID, we've actually seen a huge increase in participation rates of golf and a lot more people take up golf. And this has in turn ended up being, you know, a very fortunate um, coincidence for us. Mm, I think it's working wonderfully well for you. Let's talk briefly about the presence of women entrepreneurs and business owners in general, as there's been some interesting literature around this. Just bear with me while I quote some numbers. According to an article published in 2021 by womeninindustry.com.au called Women Owners Coming to a Business Near You, women are underrepresented in leadership of Essex 200 and other large businesses. An article in May of 2021 in the Australian Financial Review suggesting only about one third of leaders are women. However, it's a much more positive picture in small to medium enterprises, also known as SMEs. The Zero Boss Insights report of 2021 found that two-thirds of new businesses created in the last decade have been founded by women. Figures in the same titled report by Zero in 2020, the year before, quoted an increase in male business owners of 40% since 1991, while female-led businesses grew by 80% over that time. The same report suggests, and it's a highly reasonable assertion, that this level of growth will increase through the 2020s as tertiary and higher educated young women develop their careers as they approach the designated peak age for being their own boss, which is 45 years of age. I hope that's not bad news for anyone who's 46. On the face of it, that's pretty good news for women-led startups. Against this very positive finding, there are still what the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman Bruce Bilson describes as headwinds for women entrepreneurs, such as less access to funding, less access to supportive business networks and unconscious gender bias by some male investors. What was your own experience in your former corporate life, Raj? Did you experience any of these headwinds yourself or did you feel largely supported? Um, To be honest, I've had some very strong mentors and supporters who've really, uh, you know, coached and mentored me through my corporate career both male and female. So I've been lucky to have had some strong supporters and mentors. But having said that, um, I think uh, for female entrepreneurs in general, um, 
you need to really go out there and build these relationships and networks. So I've actually gone out during my career as well and sought out a lot of these mentors and supporters. And I think it's been great for me to have some strong support. Mm. I imagine there's some personal qualities required too, resilience being amongst them. In developing the concept of Imagine, you will no doubt have drawn on what you learned both in the corporate sector and your time in golf administration. What in particular do you think has helped you with that process? So during my corporate career, I gained a lot of, you know, business skills and basic business disciplines that I think you kind of carry through the rest of your life. Strategic planning, financial management, operational execution, and really understanding some of the key risks and developing mitigants, to name a few. So this has actually, you know, helped propel me along. Harking back to participation, the ratio of women to men in golf in Australia is currently at 19%, so there's some homework there. What is the female participation ratio in Imagine? We've had some um, strong participation rates. We have about 25% female participation at our events and membership, uh, which is higher than the you know, industry average of 19% that you've quoted. Um, And I think this is largely due to the fact that we offer multiple options at each of our events. So we always offer an 18-hole golfing option, which is our main trophy event of the day. But we always offer a nine-hole event as well as a tri-golf clinic. We have a tri-golf clinic at every one of our events. So non-golfers and new golfers can still come in. They come in a bit later in the day and participate in our clinic, but everyone comes in at the same time for the networking and the lunch. Um, I'm going to give you a bit of an example. We have um, one of our of one of our members. Her name is Louisa Perez, and she joined our Tri Golf Clinic at one of our networking events in December last year. Right as we were coming out of the pandemic, she'd never held a club before. Turned up at the clinic because some of our colleagues were coming in. Now Louisa is 30 years old and a lawyer. And she thought, oh, look, golf is something perhaps that I should pursue because I'm going to work with a lot of male members who play golf. And this might be good for corporate networking. So she turned up, picked up the club for the first time and absolutely liked it and wanted to pursue it. She's since come in for many of our six weekly clinics that we run and has got a handicap and is now going to be playing 18 holes at our event in July. So this is what it's all about, you know, actually getting people getting a taste for the game and getting into the game and getting involved in the game. Oh, I love that story. I just love it when somebody has a try and then turns out to be a complete convert. I mean, that's your own story, isn't it? Exactly. That is the same experience that I've had. And we also have a number of men as well who've come in and tried golf as one of the at one of our clinics and gone on to play a lot of golf and get a handicap and be part of our networking groups. It's a critical thing to get people to just try it, I think. If we were to go back to the Golf Club Participation Report, Get Into Golf, which is Golf Australia's adult introductory program, had 6,594 participants over 1,230 programs. Of this, 84% were female. So it shows that there is female interest in playing golf, doesn't it? Most of the membership was from men, but most of the trying the game was from women. This suggests a great opportunity to transfer women to membership, whether it be club membership or social membership, if they feel welcome 
or if the product feels like a good fit to them, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And look, with what we're doing at Imagine, whether it be male or female, we just want to get as many people as possible to get into the game. Um, Our focus is predominantly on getting people playing 18 holes of golf. So over time, what we try to do with our clinic is obviously progress them to the nine holes and then forward towards playing 18 holes eventually, get a handicap. And I just think competitive golf is a great way for people to get a bug for the game and try to improve and build because in golf, you're always playing against yourself. So it's a great way to improve your handicap and get involved and get engaged in the game. So are some of the people who play through Imagine playing competition and some are playing social or how does that side of it work? So uh, through Imagine Golf, you get an opportunity to get a handicap. But at our events, the way we run our events is uh, most of our events are individual stable foot. And if you've got an official GA handicap, you're playing in the main event of the day. Um, and for the trophy event. We also have people who don't have a handicap play at our events, and they may be, you know, playing to get a card marked for handicapping. Um, And while the non-handicap players can participate in the nearest the pin, longest drive, and all of those other prizes, uh, they don't actually participate in the main uh, event of the day. Uh, The reason being, we, we really don't believe in just giving people a 36 handicap or a 27 handicap or something and just playing, it's just not fair. But what we do is we do give a prize for out of the non-handicap players and we usually draw a card out of all their cards and they do get a prize. Do you play mostly on public courses, private courses or a blend of both? Look, we have a big blend of both. Uh, We play at a lot of um, uh, private courses. Um, We've played at Concord Golf Club and Kingston Heath. And later in the year, we're going to be playing at New South Wales uh, Golf Club. But we also play at a lot of public courses as well. We've had events at Stonecutters Ridge, Moore Park, um, to name a few. Um, and, our, and our goal is really, you know, to play at some of uh, the really nice exclusive courses, as well as find some of the hidden gems. There are so many beautiful courses in Australia, and we want to play, you know, all over Australia at various hidden gems. Well, the role of public golf courses is so important in increasing the number, isn't it? Because private golf clubs, they've got a capped facility to accommodate members for a start. So you couldn't accommodate the 1.645 million in private golf clubs. There's also then the matter that some people don't enjoy the culture of private golf clubs. So public golf courses have got an important role to play, don't they? Absolutely. Like public courses have a big part to play in the future. We have, I think, about 1,500 courses uh, in Australia and we probably need a few more to accommodate this 1.6 million. Mm, Exactly right. That's right. They've got to have somewhere to play. Raj, there are other social clubs, some of which have been around for some time. Do you feel in competition with them in any way or are they targeting different demographics? So there are about 1,500 golf courses and through memberships, they target the 410,000 golfers in Australia and a 67% of casual golfers, they need to have opportunities to get a membership as well and get a handicap and get into the game. And I just think there's a huge opportunity for all of the social groups. And there's even more space in this market for more groups to come and join in because realistically, I believe what happens is, you know, people join group 
sort of like-minded golfers. So there's different demographic and different age groups and different style of offerings that can benefit different golfers. Uh, we focus on a very copper-based membership base. We have a lot of business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who are time-poor executives, but still want to, you know, network and play golf at different courses across Australia. Yes, the analogy I like to use is that they are all ponies in the stable and you pick the one that you want to ride. Absolutely. There's a great um, uh, sentence you've used there. Uh, and I just think, think about it. If each one of these social clubs even just got 1% of the population, that's a huge number. Mm, certainly is. And there's opportunity for many more. There's one particular Imagine event I'd like to discuss with you, and that's the Imagine Flood Relief Fundraiser Day held recently at Concord Golf Club. Can you fill us in on that one and how it went? So at Imagine Golf, uh, one of the things we want to do is obviously promote golf, but we also want to give back. Uh, and with, re- with the recent floods, there's been so much impact to property, livestock, livelihoods. We really wanted to do something to support those who were impacted. So we organized a flood relief fundraiser golf day at Concord Golf Club, and we had 110 plus players on the day. And interestingly, our event was on a Thursday until the Saturday before Concord Golf Club was closed because of, you know, the flooding and the, and, the, uh, and the ongoing rain. So we were really worried, thinking, I hope the course is open. You know, we don't want a flood relief fundraiser to be called off because of the rains. Mm-hmm. But anyway, luckily, the course was open and we had a beautiful sunny morning um, to start off the day. So um, we k- kicked off and we're playing golf. But interestingly, the last three holes, it actually poured with rain. Uh, and everybody had to quickly get out the umbrellas and the rain jackets. And we finished the day and we came into the clubhouse. And um, one of the things I said um, at the presentation was that today when we were playing golf, we had beautiful sunshine. And then it was so annoying to get all this rain suddenly in the last three holes. Now raise that to a power of thousand. And that's probably what we are here to support. And uh, it, it, you know, it was greeted with a lot of laughter and a lot of applause. So that's kind of what we wanted to do, really do something to support um, the day. We had a few corporate sponsors who got behind the event and supported the day, as well as a couple of golf brands who donated some prizes and provided services on the day. So we really want to thank everybody who supported this event. Well, I think that support is just amazing. The link to the Imagine Flood Relief Fundraiser page will be in the show notes for anyone who would like to contribute. Oh, thanks, Karen. That's very kind of you. Raj, you have previous history in fundraising for good causes, which we love, uh, working to help raise funds for the Khmer Site Foundation among them. That sounds like a wonderful initiative. What does this foundation work to achieve? The Khmer Site Foundation... um, aims to eliminate avoidable blindness in Cambodia. So it's actually a group of um, eye surgeons from all over the world who come together uh, and provide cataract surgery for people in Cambodia, as well as um, expert clinical training. They provide this training to eye care professionals in Cambodia so they can learn and provide these cataract surgeries themselves. So we ran an event at Pimble Golf Club to raise funds for Khmer Site Foundation. Um, and it was a great day. Um, it's well supported again by corporate sponsors as well as individuals. Um, and I was very honored uh, to say that I received a personally signed thank you certificate from the Prince of Cambodia for that event. 
in the short time that Imagine has been in operation, it's grown quite significantly. You currently have offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. What do you see as the future for Imagine? Where would you like to see it in five years or 10 years? We want to really grow the game and get as many people as possible involved to pick up a club, have a go, to play regularly, to get a handicap and compete with golfers across Australia. And our goal is really to create a national and perhaps even one day a global community of golfers and have a situation where everybody is welcome. Oh, that would be amazing. It sounds to me as if you're pretty busy these days, Raj. So I assume that you're not playing as much as you used to do? Uh, I used to actually play three times a week at one point. And now the more I am working in golf, I play less golf. Mm-hmm. So I probably, I probably get to play once a week. Raj, it's been really great to talk with you today. As a successful entrepreneur in golf, you will be an inspiration to many other women who have ideas they'd like to see come to fruition. Happily, there are some who are either considering or are becoming involved in startups in the golf industry. And hopefully hearing your thoughts and experiences will encourage them to take the next step themselves. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thanks, Karen, for having me. And for anyone who wants to be involved, I'd say this is fantastic because golf needs more people to be involved and we need to all work together to grow this game. Thanks, Raj. Thank you, Karen. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation with Raj today as much as I have. Taking golf into the future requires innovative thinking and a commitment to diversity of product as well as people. That different products can sit happily side by side with traditional golf should be welcome news to those who are happy in the game as it's been. It's really just a matter of as well rather than instead. If you've enjoyed this episode, Please let fellow golfers know we're here, either by word of mouth, sharing a link, or leaving a favourable rating or review. The more people who come to the show, the more visible we can make the stories of women in golf and of the men who support them. If you'd like to have new episodes delivered completely free of charge as soon as they're available, you can hit the subscribe or follow button next to the T for Two podcast on your phone or device podcast app. And if you have any questions or have someone in mind whose story you think might be interesting, please feel free to shoot me an email at hello at tfor2.com.au. Tifa 2 is produced on the traditional country of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation in Victoria and offers respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you for our next Tea Time together. Our next guest is also someone whose story you will enjoy, so look out for that one. Until then, have fun in golf. Thanks for listening to Tea for Two. To check out other episodes and to keep up to date with what's happening in women's golf, please head over to tfor2.com.au.